0: I gotta say, one of my favorite parts of training on Zwift is the community. Whether it's riding with new people you meet on the platform or riding with old teammates, the people that Zwift connects you with push you harder than you could ever push yourself, let alone when it's just you, on the trainer, in your garage, or your pain cave somewhere. My next favorite part is the training. Training is a huge part of Zwift. There are literally hundreds of customizable training plans you can choose from and every workout is an immersive experience that can take you from Zwift's world-class climbs to the streets of London, New York, and even to a new Japanese-inspired world. Those are just a few of the nine unique worlds you can explore. Many times, I find myself just riding around, checking out the sights and seeing new little Easter eggs they've hidden in the game. When I'm riding on one of the UCI championship courses or in the jungle on the gravel roads or inside a volcano, I'm just taking it all in. Time seems to fly by, but I still manage to get a great workout in every time. If you want to compete in races that put your training to the test and see if you're headed in the right direction, you can. There's a new event starting every five minutes, including massive group rides, races for every category, And time trials. Right now, you can join the fun is fast event series with training rides, races, and thousands of other riders from around the world to chase. It's really never been easier to find your fun training indoors. I love it. All you need to get started is a bike, a trainer and the Zwift app. Get a free seven day trial, no strings attached at Zwift.com. Zwift, where fun is fast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and on the other side of the Atlantic somewhere in Germany, Jens Vogt. Jens, what's new at the zoo?
1: Well, um, all the zoo's animals are still in their cages, so to speak. So all kids living still in the house, so that nothing has changed there. But I went to England, to uh, Great Britain, so to speak, Um, over the weekend, did something for track bikes on Thursday and Friday, and then Saturday, Sunday, I had my own little charity event. Um, a charity bike ride, Shutter Blacks, in the New Forest, which is a lovely area where you have wild roaming horses, cattle, and uh, donkeys. Um, and with um, we, we did it the eighth year, or eight times. And with the donations of this year, we just made the £100,000 in donations. So we're super happy and proud that we were able to collect over the eight years a total of uh, just £100,000 for the Epilepsy Society in Great Britain because my friend Stuart Grace and me, we do it together. For his daughter, Amy, she suffers from epilepsy. So that's why we choose the Epilepsy Society as our charity partner. So it was a really, really good weekend and we were blessed with great weather and even greater people
0: that's awesome that's awesome i uh i had one heck of a weekend as well uh i've gotten together with my buddies from high school since we graduated in 1990 so this year was basically our 30th anniversary because last year got canceled we went up to colorado and i know how much you love wild animals you're always asking about did you see this did you see that I was looking everywhere. I saw a coyote. We saw bald eagles when we were out on the pontoon boat. Um, I just felt like, you know, gosh, I need to see a bear and I'm gonna text Yenzi and like film him because I know how much you like those wild animals. But we had a great time playing golf, a bunch of almost 50 year olds um, trying to act like we're 18 again. Um, as you can probably tell in my voice, I'm still a little moving a little slow, but uh, it was it was great. But uh, talking about great, we have the great, the one and only Andre Gripel as our interview today. A um, couple of really interesting things that we pulled out this interview. I mean, everyone knows him as the gorilla, but he actually gave us a little inside scoop that he has another nickname. So sit back, relax, and listen to our interview with Andre Greipel. Welcome to another episode of Bobby and Jens, and today we have one of the biggest sprinters, best sprinters of all time, with over 150 wins, 158 to be exact, 22 of those came in Grand Tours, Andre, the gorilla, Greipel, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Hello,
2: thanks for having me. Uh, I would say famous, famous podcast and, uh, an international one. So I hope I can help you out with a couple of good stories.
0: First of all, I, I have to ask about your nickname. Um, the Yenzi or Bobby J, you know, a lot of these are just kind of normal, but like, how old were you? And do you remember who gave you the nickname Gorilla?
2: Um... Actually, I have two nicknames. The first one is uh, Gringo. And uh, that came up uh, when I was around 13 or 14 years. And yeah, a training colleague, uh, also an old bike rider. Uh, You were teammates with him. uh, Eric Baumann. He he gave me the name. um, And he was shouting through the forest uh, uh, Gringo-Greipel fight fight uh against all the pain you you feel something like that so all my my close friends from from former times they all know me as uh, gringo and yeah gorilla came up uh, when i was in uh, australia australia and tour down under and yeah i was uh yeah quite successful there and um i think it was uh nick gates he made a comment to the media and and said something like, eh, look at him, uh, he has uh, muscles like a gorilla. <laughs> and yeah, from there on, uh, yeah, the newspaper wrote it down and somehow, yeah, it kept close to my name. And uh, yeah, I also kind of uh, liked the the reputation I got from this, this uh, nickname uh, as I could, uh, I think that animal describes myself quite good, being a family man and uh, yeah. And on the bike, and some somebody different, and then uh, yeah, the gorilla came out. Let's say.
1: Do you still have some of these special painted bikes with your gorilla on there? You had it a few years, I believe. A special paint job on the bike. You still have one of these bikes?
2: Uh, actually, I've got plenty of bikes. Um, so from every year, I, I want something special to me. Uh, I kept the bike, um, of course, also with a Gorilla on. Uh, but yeah, the last uh, three years, I haven't had a bike with a Gorilla on, but that's fine for me. Uh, it was always actually a quite uh, good marketing thing for for all the companies, uh, the bikes I was riding with. So uh, yeah, I think they kind of liked it uh, to, to have a actually a, a nice report in the, in the newspaper with that paint job on.
0: Well, before you were the gringo or the gorilla, tell us the story about how you got into cycling and was cycling the only sport or was it just um, did you have some other interests when you were young?
2: Um, yeah. Uh, the first bike I got, I think I was around three. So from there on, the bike was always part of my uh, daily, uh, uh, daily sports I've done. Uh, so uh, now everybody is playing on on their PlayStation or whatever. Uh, I was always outside uh, riding my bike with my friends. Um, but yeah somehow of course i was a quite active person as a as a kid so my my parents were quite happy about it that i kept moving outside and uh didn't make the house in pieces let's say um but yeah somehow uh my mother used to work close to the track we have in, in Rostock, where i was born and uh, a lot of times i passed this track and uh, then once i said to my mother uh, i would like to do that sport uh, so get me to the club and i'm uh, gonna try it out and so it happened uh, i was uh, 10 when i started and yeah i got to know uh, peter zaga was my first uh, trainer and uh, as i started in 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 the autumn in october cycling wasn't uh, really purpose in that training period uh, but running was so Yeah, I had to run like uh, 2,000 meter, so five times around the track. And I left all the other kids which were in the club and uh, were running. And so the trainer decided, okay, you can come back. And a week later, I could uh, make this kind of test uh, they used to do in in East Germany. So you had to ride uh, 1,000 meter on the track, and when you did... That under two minutes, you were kind of in talent. So I think I managed to do it. And, uh, from there on, I was a cyclist. Um, but of course, when you got a bit older and, uh, your friends, uh, they played football. Um, yeah, yeah, girls came in, in, in the life as well. It was not always, uh, the nicest sport you could could have. Um, your friends did all something else. Then I also played a bit football with them. Um, and uh, yeah, until let's say i I was playing on a different player license. Um, and yeah, then my friend and me, we went home after a match. We won five two. i I made two goals, um, but my parents didn't know about it that I was having a match. And uh, then my friend got asked from my, from my father, and how was the match? Did you, did you shoot a goal? And uh, he said, no, but Andre did. He scored two goals. And then my father was like, okay, good. Uh, boy, it's your decision now. You're a cyclist or you're a football player. You have to decide. And uh, I, mean, I, I decided for cycling. So I think it was a good choice then.
1: So well, when did you realize that you're a sprinter? No time traveler, no mountain climber. When did you realize? In your very first race already? Or when you were like 14 or 18? Like to become like a a pure, typical sprinter.
2: Um, I think, Jens, you also know the tests we have done in the East East German uh, trainers. They always did it. You had to make uh, kind of jumps. You had to sprint. Um, So actually, by doing one jump, you can see uh, if you have a fast, it's uh, fast uh, twitching muscle or a slow one, and uh, that's my true. Tra- I
1: did his jumps as well. It's just one jump, right? You stand on a line, you exactly. jump forward one step, yeah, and how far you go, you can see. Nah, too slow. His muscles or explosive exactly. muscles. Yes, exactly. I know. I know exactly the test. Yeah, uh,
2: and yeah, there immediately the trainers uh, knew that I have a fast twitching muscle and. Uh, so I think he made the right choices to give me the right training programs and uh, triggered the right muscle types, let's say. Um, but yeah, to real realize that I'm kind of fast was uh, when I was uh, six, 15 or 16. Then we did uh, uh, the German championships on the track. And uh, to warm up, we did always the 500 meters and some sprints on the track and uh, I managed to get second in the 500 meters against all the sprinters and uh, then uh, the national coaches also said okay that guy needs to be a, a track sprinter but uh, my, my trainer always wanted to keep me in the in the uh, endurance uh, kind of uh, cycling area and uh, yeah I, I, I did a lot of track um, before but yeah, on the road it really started, um, yeah, as an as a uh, junior by doing a lot of uh, crits and uh, yeah, in the under twenty three I, I started to win races in in, in the sprint as well. So uh, yeah, then you you realized okay uh, I can win a lot of sprints in in uh, uh, in normal bike races as well. But uh, yeah, the climbing part. Even I was, uh, that's a nice story as well. I was, uh, German champion in, uh, in the uphill, uh, race. So, uh, I did, uh, and, and I won solo, but this was, uh, I always say this was uh, 15 kilos ago. Um.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so 2005 you turned pro and I saw that one of your teammates was Garrett Thomas. Um, do you remember your Neopro season for team Vizanov?
2: Yeah, um, I think G, um, he was a stagiaire in that year with us. Uh, so he came, uh, in middle of July, uh, and starting of August, he came into the team. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it is as a, as a Neopro, it's uh, super hard to enter the first races. Um, and my first race was was Qatar. And uh, everybody says that uh, when you want to get to know uh, if you want to, if you uh, have talent, uh, you have to bring the young guys to Qatar. And uh, yeah, I did uh, what I remember. I did quite well, uh, riding in the echelon and uh, staying up there in the bunch. Uh, um, Even it was hard, of course, but yeah, from there on, uh, cycling, uh was harder than i expected let's say uh but still uh it, it, i needed a bit time to get used to to the speed and uh then i also could win a bike race already in, in two of denmark um, and uh yeah it wasn't the easiest year let's say but uh yeah i survived it and uh And then uh, the the team switched into Milram and uh, I got an offer from T-Mobile. And uh, of course, everybody was happy. It's like it was the Bayern Munich uh, in cycling and everybody wanted to be part of it. And uh, I was uh, really honored to get this this opportunity. And uh, um, after the first year uh, being professional, already uh, signing up for T-Mobile.
1: So you did. More than one Tour de France, right? 11 uh, Tour de France, four times the welter, seven times the Giro. And you talked about that cycling is such a hard sport. Like, just just tell me, fill me in, how does a sprinter feel before one of these killer mountain stages? And how do you feel in the middle? I mean, I was never the best climber, but I was always okay enough to be normally one group before the group So it was hard for me but how how do you feel? Are you desperate? You hate your sport? You hate your life? Do you call yourself an idiot? Or what is in your mind for like five hours of suffering and fear of not making the time cut? I, I really wanted to know how, how how that goes inside your head.
2: Um, yeah, of, of course the worst thing always could happen is a direct uphill start. Uh, <laughs> yes. Especially in, in in the grand tours when when everybody's just, just uh so so tense before that uphill start and everybody wanted to be in the in the breakaway but i, I mean i could do what i want i could make a warm-up on the rollers or i just uh stay seated in the bus but i knew i i'm gonna be whatever i do i'm gonna be in the last group it's just a natural selection happens there in, on every uphill stage but uh yeah somehow you always knew with uh, which riders uh, you will you will be together and uh uh, I mean, of course, a lot of times you are like, "Okay, I'm I'm never gonna do it. Uh, I'm never gonna make the time cut." But somehow, you always surprise yourself. And uh, uh, I mean, for sure, we are suffering. But somehow, you 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 never suffer alone. Uh, you are always in a in a group together, and uh, everybody in that group is the same type of rider and uh, has the same problems like I have uphill. But somehow we we always stick together, and that uh, of course helped a lot. But of course, uh, even we we are not as fast, but we still have to push a lot of watts to get into the time cut. Um, and of course, we are also tired, like everybody else who who did this uh, these stages or these races. But I have to say, I I was never really afraid. Uh, I had always tons of respect uh, before I really special mountain day, uh, but somehow, uh, when you had a shower, you always uh, tell yourself, okay, it wasn't so bad. So, uh, I mean, at the end, we are all lying ourselves. So, uh, and uh, this, we we did every
1: day all over again. So just one more question to add to this. Is there a camaraderie between? Did you ever exchange water bottles with, let's say, um, Marcel Kittel or Cavendish or Elia Viviani in the gruppetto, did you ever talk to each other or you still try to beat each other even though you're in the gruppetto?
2: Um, let's say uh, when I started cycling uh, as a pro and uh, to now, uh, the the cycling changed so much that uh, even there's no uh, gruppetto existing anymore. So everybody knows how short the the time cuts are calculated that even you know I got, it's gonna be so hard for me to get the time cut but you see an, another sprinter is in difficulties then you go a little bit harder that he <laughs> that he's not now nowadays it is like this uh, i mean i don't like it uh, but uh, everybody is doing it and uh so i always try to yeah look for the riders i know i can stay with april and then I tried to stick to them. Um, but in the past, of course, it was much easier if you had a full gruppetto and everybody stick to each other. But if there are problems with, with other sprinters, uh, for sure, you always gave something if they haven't had a, a bottle or something. You always had this uh, re, revalry, uh, but on the other side, you also had this uh, had this uh, sitting in the same boat and uh, uh, trying to help each other. Or I was like this.
1: If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus for less than a dollar a week. You can get a hard copy of Valley News magazine, choose two books a year from Press, access all the premium content from the whole Outside family, including Yoga Journal, Peloton Magazine, and backpacker. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value every year in one $99 subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com slash outsideplus and enter Bobby Jens25, all one word, lowercase at checkout you receive our special 25% discount, and you make a good deal great. And now, back to our chat with André.
0: Well, let's go back a little bit to a good memory, because um, I know there's a lot of tough memories in cycling and gruppettos Talking about gruppettos is probably not one of them. But in 2008, I mean, you, you throughout your career, you won 22 stages in Grand Tours, but your first one was in the 2008 Giro. What was it like winning your first of an eventual 22 stage wins uh, in 2008? Do you remember much of that?
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, we came up there with a really strong team uh, uh, to prepare the sprints with uh, Cavendish and myself in, in, the, in that team. And uh, yeah, before that race, everybody. Oh, I got told that everybody gets his uh, his sprints done. Um, but of course, Mark won already the first one uh, in the Giro, so he had already his first Grand Tour stage win there. So uh, the spot directors they sticked uh, with uh, the plan to support Mark, uh, which is was uh, of course not what I wanted to hear. But I always did my job. I, I, I helped him leading out and uh, all these things you do as a as a sprint team. But yeah, then uh, there was uh, coming stage 18. I think it was uh, to Locarno. And we had also a rest day before. or well, it was stage 16, was it? Uh, and we had a rest day before. And I was on this rest day so focused. I did so, m- so many sprints. I did the training alone and I was... I knew it's going to be the last chance for a bunch sprint and uh, somehow I wanted to prepare myself like for this um, and then the opportunity came that uh, yeah I just got into the lead with 300 meters to go or 250 or something and I just thought, thought to myself okay I'm gonna push it to the line and see what happens and uh, yeah, then you see the picture with uh, Mark in the background. Of course, uh, afterwards you always know better. I thought first uh, I won this uh, with my own legs, let's say, but the pictures uh, told me different. Uh, but I didn't see the pictures directly after the finish line, so I was uh, I was asked a lot of questions uh, from the media to. To tell me, ah, but Mark, they let you, they let you win, uh, he let you win, and uh, all these things. But I was, I, I didn't see the picture, so I just said that uh, I won that sprint. Uh, I did a really good sprint, blah blah blah. But of course, I I was overwhelmed by by the by the feeling I had when I crossed the finish line first, because uh, this is something you always dreamed about to to win a stage in the Grand Tour and uh, I was so happy to, to, de- to do this and be able in, in that moment uh, on that stage to really perform on this level and uh, yeah it was special
1: I was still racing I remember that how happy you were and I, I, I know I, I saw that I mean I was pos- position 85 probably in that sprint but I was there yes I remember that mm. great win
2: yeah that, that I mean Uh, um, Just the names who were with us on these days uh, was uh, amazing. Like with uh, Bradley Wiggins, uh, Franti Cech-Rabon, he was also a a massive time-trailer, Tony Martin. All these guys, they helped us uh, to prepare the lead-outs. I mean, I don't need to tell anyone uh, how fast we were going. So uh, I wouldn't say it was a walk in the park, uh, but on that day we really controlled it from the front. and. yeah, just a special moment, of course.
0: And, you know, in 2009, so you're still with... Now it's switched from T-Mobile over to um, Columbia, Team Columbia, HTC, I believe. And in 2009, you won four stages in the Vuelta that year. Do you remember who your leadout train was there? Because, like, when you win four stages in a Grand Tour, you know that you've got guys that are paving the road in front of you, doing the hard yards. Do you remember who who your lead-out guys were for that? I mean, I'm sure you've had a few hundred throughout your career, but do you remember in 2009 who those guys were?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, uh, it was uh, The last man was Drake uh, Henderson in front of me. And then I had uh, Seberg, uh Vicente Reines, uh, Franticek Rabon, Bert Grabsch was also in the team. Um, and uh, yeah, then it gets gets difficult. But yeah, we were a really strong, strong, uh, strong team on that day or in this period. And uh, I mean, the Vuelta was never easy, especially for sprinters. But uh, to win four stages and the green jersey was, uh, of course, something something really special.
1: And um, well. Winning four stages, you had this massive Tour de France where you won four or five stages. That probably was one of the best years you ever had, right? You, I mean, you were the king of the world that yeah. year. I think uh, I was already commentating. I, I'm afraid I was already retired by then. But yeah, that was a massive year. Huh? Were all of these wins equally good for you or you like any one of them specifically? Or they were all good, important, easy...
2: I think in, uh, in the Tour de France, every, every victory you can get, there's uh, something special. 2011, in my first Tour de France, I could take part. I was 28 and it was always a childhood dream just to take part in this race. And I could manage to win a stage there. It was, uh, just, just, uh, uh, yeah, childhood dream come through. Uh, and, uh, of course it was special and I could, could manage to win every, uh to de France I have done until 16 I won at least one stage uh but fifteen I could win four and we just had five bunch sprints and uh on the fifth one I was second. Uh it was uh yeah just just my year in, in that in that year. Um uh, even I couldn't win the green jersey uh on the on in this year. Uh and I think Peter he didn't even win one stage but I could win it uh, could manage to do uh, four stage wins together with a team uh, and I still couldn't manage to win the green jersey which was uh, of course a side effect uh, but still every stage win was uh, super
0: special in this year But 2011, um, I want to go back to that a little bit because you, know, you had always been on a team with multiple sprinters with, with Cavendish, um, Greg Henderson, you know, et cetera, et cetera but you switched teams in 2011 to Omega Pharma Lotto and that's where you won your first of an eventual 11 tour stages. And the stage that you won, you finished ahead of your old teammate, Cav. And I picked up on a little bit of maybe, you know, from that photo from the Giro or something like that. But like not only winning your first stage in, a grand, uh, in the Tour de France, but also beating your old teammate. Um, were you guys rivals or friends or was that kind of like a, see, I told you so sort of, sort of victory?
2: Um, I think the media, uh, always put this, uh, higher than, than we both actually, uh, did with each other. Uh, I always had a huge of respect for, for Mark because, uh, at the end he, he's the fastest, uh, sprinter we, we had in, in, in all history of cycling, in my opinion. And, uh. Even we were together in the same team, and um, I'm sure I could have won already to the front stages before, uh, 11 if I would have had the opportunity to do this, um, in, in, yeah, with the team. Yeah. But the spot directors always stick to Mark, which uh, wasn't always the best uh, thing for me. But on the other side, who, who, I mean, the victories, they always, uh, kept them in the, in the right order. And, um, yeah 11 i just wanted to prove myself that uh, i i'm able to to win on on at the biggest race uh, of the world and of course it was a really nice side effect uh, to do it against mark because yeah he was just uh, the fastest sprinter around and uh, he was also beatable and i i proved this uh, on that day um And I think also on that day, uh, his respect towards me also uh, grew a bit more. Um, Let's say, of course, it was always a a rival for me. But on the other side, it is uh, also a a, a nice uh, rival uh, if you can compete and sprint always against the best. And um, uh, I'm happy that I, I was sometimes able to to beat him, even he was the fastest uh, around.
1: In order to to keep your sprinting alive, was that getting more difficult when you were getting older? Because I I, I strongly believe if you're younger, sprinting is easier and it's just natural. Did you have to change your training a little bit towards, uh, let's say, in the last half or last quarter of your career?
2: um let's say <clears throat> i heard this also that uh that uh, uh you get slower uh by getting older um and of course by doing uh, specific training in the sprints uh you always could uh, trigger uh the fast twitching muscles more um and I was never a friend of uh, trying out something new. Uh, I always came back to the old school training style I've done throughout my career. And uh, now I'm still doing the same, what's like I did uh, 12 years ago. So for me, uh, it's more about the mental thing and, 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 the, and the head. Uh, you just don't take the same risk like I've done 10, 12 years ago. And I think this is the, this is, the effect that you are using more energy to get into a sprint by, do, by taking less risk uh, than 10, 12 years ago. Um, but of course, if you spend more energy before the sprint, you are not having the same sprint anymore at the end. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, I just can can uh, can tell about the sprint uh, last Sunday against uh, Wout van in the Tour of Britain. Uh, I think uh, I lost against the world champion 2021. I mean, I can sign it here now because I don't see anyone beating him. And uh there I did one, I cannot do a more perfect sprint. I never did in all my career, but he just passed me uh, on the line and I never got passed uh, from from so many riders when I did a perfect sprint. But last Sunday I did. And uh yeah, it was uh, the power output i had i i, I never did uh, like this in in, in a tour the front stage when i'm quite
1: sure about it well you had a pretty good sprint um, just one second bobby a tour of germany you know you won the sprint you know rain weather punctures crashes and uh, you had it all and then you win the sprint and there's two idiots still out there i was there and like no no you know you did a very good sprint very little team support left because some people of you crashed abandoned the race you fight your way through you win the bunch kick against some really good names and there's two people from the breakout out there and i'm like no i was so <laughs> hoping for you to win that stage but you yeah. did a very good sprint there you were strong on that day
2: Yeah, but uh, that sprint is also a typical example by taking no risk anymore. Um, I remember, I mean, I understand all these young riders uh, because I was also young, uh, but they really fought for that last turn with uh, 1.2 to go or something. And uh, I just wasn't up to take that risk anymore. So I think I turned around 30th position, 1k to go. And actually, the sprint was was finished in that moment. But uh, then somehow, I I thought to myself, like, okay, if I see one gap opening, I just go. So I think I went with four hundred meters to go, and just sit down in in at one moment and um, could gutter some slipstream from from Degenkolb on that day. Yeah, and I could manage to do to win the sprint. Even it was not a perfect sprint for me, but I uh, still could manage. Uh, of course. Uh, uh, Nils uh, and and uh, uh, Dylan toynes were still out there, um, which was unfortunate for me. But uh, still, I, I think I could prove for myself that I'm still one of the fastest out there.
0: And, you know, you're getting towards the end. This is your last year of your career. You started in the pro ranks in 2005. Um, you've battled in the sprints against all the best sprinters of our generation, of your generation. Who would be your top five if you could rank them, or maybe not rank them, but mention them, of your, your biggest rivals? The one, the guys that you have the most respect for, the, the guys that you always wanted to beat?
2: Yeah, of course it was Kev. Um, then it was uh, Eric Zabel, um, uh, Alessandro Pitaki. uh Tom Bonin, um, yeah, now, uh, with the young guys coming up, uh, Caleb Ewan and uh, Viviani, there, you can name so many good sprinters now, uh, and they all wanted to cross the line first, uh, but yeah, uh, let's say I, I was sprinting a, a lot of, uh, against a lot of fast guys, yeah, I, I, and I was always a bit, uh, uh, i always would have liked to really find out how to sprint against the cipollini because everybody said that this guy was just so strong and fast Uh, but yeah i i came up too late in in the really pro ranks there to have this opportunity
1: so andre you had such a great and fantastic career where are we gonna see you next year at this time What's your future projects? Any ideas, anything you would like to share with us or you don't even know yourself yet?
2: Um, Let's say I have had uh, a lot of talks now. Um, I also had a lot of uh, ask about getting a sport director or becoming a sport director. Um, But I refuse to do so because I think uh, now the family time is really important for me and also my family deserves to have the father once in a a while at home and uh, uh, planning the weekends together things like this I just want to find out how this really is but still I want to be around in cycling and um, that's what I'm going to do Um, I try to be part of uh, specific brands, uh, to stay in cycling and, uh, yeah, helping out, uh, maybe an organization about, uh, at, at bike races to really be part of it for security, things like this. Uh, but of course I also would really like to share my experience with, with younger cyclists and, uh, yeah, trying to, to, to teach those young guys, uh, not just looking at numbers, uh, that they also should follow their intuition a little bit, uh, what what was so important for myself. And uh, I hope I get this opportunity, opportunity to share these experiences with uh, young talents.
0: Well, you took my last question away from me. I was going to ask, what bit of information have you learned in the sport of cycling that you will um, pass on to that next generation? But let's change that up a little bit. What bit of cy- uh, cycling knowledge, or what you've learned through all these years in the sport, do you think is going to be a positive for you moving forward on the other side of the barriers, like just in life in general? What do you that that one or two things that cycling has really taught you?
2: Um, first of all, I I, uh, I have to say something before because. The, the development of cycling what you can see at the, nowadays is for me not the right uh, development uh, to get all these junior riders uh, becoming directly professionals and riding the biggest races we have uh, I, I I never learned cycling in this way we always got built up in a kind of uh, good good wise let's say that you are not burned out and you are not uh, fatigue uh, early um but now all these young guys they they they're pushing so much what what I never did in my whole career um but yeah the, I don't see them really improving in in their in their cycling career that much like we could improve in 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 our careers so I think the trend isn't isn't good what uh, what is happening there and uh, the, I think in my opinion also the UCI should should go against it and uh, at the end, they destroy their own under-23 Yeah, uh, racing um, and um, this is just not correct in my opinion and uh, hopefully it's going to change somehow because I won't see uh, in 15 years uh, any 35-year-old professionals anymore because uh, they're going to be all burned out and that's my opinion so uh, and then the other thing, uh, when I come back to your question is that, uh, uh, for me, the cycling changed that much, uh, to be really professional, you really have to follow up everything. You have to wait your, your, uh, your meals, uh, you have to sleep, uh, all the hours, uh, what the trainers are telling you, you have to go on high altitude, um, and actually they are living in in altitude. Uh, plus, yeah, family life isn't isn't there anymore because yeah, they are just always on the road, um, and they are just following up uh, intervals and uh, they are following up numbers and all this kind of stuff, which, my opinion, makes they had really fatigue. I mean, you need to be fresh when you get into the races. Um, And that was so important for me to really follow my intuition. Uh, And uh, when I saw that I have uh, specific intervals on and uh, I I always gave myself one hour of time uh, in a a training ride, and then I made the decision if I'm gonna do the intervals or I just don't do them. And um, I was always quite correct to follow this intuition and uh, made, make the right choices uh, by sometimes not doing these hard intervals and uh, uh, by taking it more into account that I want to be more fresh and sometimes a five, six hour ride just just cruising around is uh, so good for the health and uh, for, for the heart and for your health and uh, also for, for your endurance. And um, it makes made always me uh, mental more strong by doing these longer rides without intervals. And uh, yeah, that helped me always a lot. And for me, this was always uh, uh, yoga on the bike. Let's say it was uh, my own way to uh, recover myself.
1: So Andre, do we gonna have the chance to see racing this year one more time? And where would that be as a last uh, question here?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna do two more races and i can tell you i counted them back every <laughs> every day i counted every race um and i am going to do frankfurt um which going to be this weekend and uh, the 3rd of october going to be my last race in münster and uh, it's on in ho- on home crowds uh in front of home crowds and uh yeah hopefully i get safe through the races and uh, yeah put my my numbers away from my jersey because I won't put my nail my bike on the nail because I'm going to continue to ride my bike because uh, I love it.
1: Fantastic. I'm going to see you Sunday in Frankfurt-Ashbourne because I'm going to be there as well with my children's motivation program, Kinder Joy of Moving. So hopefully, I keep my fingers crossed that you make it safe and hopefully a podium spot for you. And I'm looking forward to see you there. I want to say thanks for a million times that you were our guest today. It was a fantastic talk. And yeah, I wish you all the luck for the last two races on home turf and for the future. Thanks again for being our guest, Andre. It was great to talk to you.
2: Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, it was really a pleasure. Um, wish you good of luck, uh, lots of luck in the future with your podcast and uh, see you around because uh, the cycling world is so small anyway.
0: For sure. Good. The other side thanks, of the guys. barriers is not as bad as it sounds. <laughs>
2: no, for sure not, for sure Take not.
0: care, Andre. Well, that's all the time we have for this week, folks. Huge thanks to Andre Greipel for being our guest. Thanks a million for
1: listening to our podcast. Please give us a five-star review and share us
0: with your friends. This show was a Velo News production in association with Shocked Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, And this episode was edited by Tim Moza. And please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens
1: and share your cycling stories with us.
0: I got to say, one of my favorite parts of training on Zwift is the community. Whether it's riding with new people you meet on the platform or riding with old teammates, The people that Zwift connects you with push you harder than you could ever push yourself, let alone when it's just you on the trainer, in your garage, or your pain cave somewhere. My next favorite part is the training. Training is a huge part of Zwift. There are literally hundreds of customizable training plans you can choose from, and every workout is an immersive experience that can take you from Zwift's world-class climbs to the streets of London, New York, and even to a new Japanese-inspired world. Those are just a few of the nine unique worlds you can explore. Many times, I find myself just riding around, checking out the sights and seeing new little Easter eggs they've hidden in the game. When I'm riding on one of the UCI championship courses or in the jungle on the gravel roads or inside a volcano, I'm just taking it all in. Time seems to fly by but I still manage to get a great workout in every time. If you want to compete in races that put your training to the test and see if you're headed in the right direction, you can. There's a new event starting every five minutes, including massive group rides, races for every category and time trials. Right now you can join the Fun is Fast event series with training rides, races, and thousands of other riders from around the world to chase. It's really never been easier to find your fun training indoors. I love it. All you need to get started is a bike, a trainer and the Zwift app. Get a free seven day trial, no strings attached at Zwift.com. Zwift, where fun is fast.